Welcome to the Lake Mac Way, where we spend some time with the people who make our city a great place to live and work. Twenty-year-old Glenn Bunny went to bed after getting the phone call he'd been dreaming of and worked tirelessly for. He was going to tour Argentina as a professional rugby player. He'd won selection for legendary super rugby club, the Canterbury Crusaders. It was a major leap forward in his professional rugby career. Maybe the start of something really big. He'd been training under New Zealand's best. There were whispers that with more hard work and maybe a dash of good fortune, he might get mentioned at the All Blacks selection table. It must have been pretty hard to sleep that night, and it must have been even harder to sleep the next night. Glenn blew his knee out in a club game the very next day, quit university to devote nine months to intensive rehabilitation in a desperate bid to get back to where he'd been, get on the pitch and rekindle his hopes, only to look down during his comeback match and see a broken ankle and his All Blacks dreams shattered. Glenn Bunny, some way down the road, is now Lake Macquarie City Council's Director of Development, Planning and Regulation, overseeing 150 staff and close to $1.5 billion worth of development applications every year. My name is Aaron Carney. I'm delighted to welcome Glenn as the very first guest on the Lake Macway. Hi, Glenn. Aaron, how are you? Yeah, I am great, thank you, and I'm excited to hear your story. Can you remember that moment I just described when you looked down at that ankle in that comeback match? Um, unfortunately, still vividly so. Um, as you say, I'd, I'd had the ACL rupture and had almost a year of, of rehab to come back, and, and I'd done everything I could to put myself back in a position to you know to get back in teams and, and play competitively, etc. And I can remember lying on the ground of Rugby Park in Christchurch, looking at the scoreboard, and there was two minutes and thirty nine seconds, I think, on into the game, so it only just started, and I knew I'd done something pretty bad to my ankle. So yeah, what well, wasn't a good time. What did happen? I had it strapped before the game, and it didn't feel right through warm up, so I had it restrapped, and it still didn't feel right, but it needed needed the strapping on there. And I literally took a great ball off, off my centre. I was playing fullback and went through a hole and went to step off that leg and just an almighty crack. And the talus, which is the square bone in the middle of the ankle, had just split in half. So I didn't need to look at it to know that it was pretty bad. And, um, yep, scans and everything else proved that um, it was going to be another significant injury to, to have to overcome. So it certainly didn't trash your rugby career we'll no doubt talk about how you went on to enjoy the game in some pretty amazing places but how long before you realized that the game plan you'd been working on since you were 13 or 14 years old was no longer realistic yeah so i i mean i started playing rugby like say at 14 i played soccer up until then um, i grew up in a country school um there were only two boys in my age group through the whole of school we had a soccer team combined with a couple other country schools and it wasn't until i went to to secondary school or boarding school in wellington that i got into the rugby loved it loved the game only ever really played for enjoyment never really had a grand plan to to become a rep player or or represent new zealand or anything um, but when i got into the canterbury system and started to realize that that I was competitive and, and could perform at that level, I guess I started to think a bit more seriously about it. And then being named in that preseason Crusaders team to go to Argentina and literally 12 hours later it was it was in tatters. The ACL injury was really bad. I had complications from that. And being at uni at the time, 
was really hard. Um, it was winter. I was on crutches. So I had a full leg brace on. I was at Lincoln University. The whole campus was in like glazed red brick. So I kept slipping on the crutches and, and causing myself other mischief. The lecture theatres weren't set up to be able to sit in with my leg. And so I decided to, to take time off and, and concentrate on that and went home and, and just focused on that. And, and thinking that I'd come back, I had a great, great support network around me. The, the union were fantastic. And to come back and then break my ankle was kind of felt like the universe telling me that this wasn't going to be for me. But but again, mentally sort of got myself over that and, and committed to the rehab and did all the hard work again, but never really quite got back off off those two bad injuries and had an opportunity one day. I got approached by, by a scout at a club game, a semi-final, I think, and invited to to look at clubs in Italy or, or Ireland at that time. So so that's how that started. You went to Italy first? Went to Italy first, yep. So um, I thought Italy sounded pretty cool. So the sort of rugby as a career was sort of behind me at that point in time. I'd given myself every opportunity, Aaron, to get back. I'd been sort of playing other rep rugby and, and was still in the Canterbury system, but been loaned to sort of sub-unions to try and get back and get that fitness and form. But... Um, never quite got there. So the opportunity came up. The club in Italy, Viadana, had just been promoted into their top flight league. So they were trying to recruit, you know, some overseas players to become competitive or be competitive in that in that next level of competition. So so me and another mate from from Canterbury went over to Viadana together. How much culture shock was involved going from rural NZ to Italy? Uh, mate, it was massive, but it was awesome. Like we, we were in a little town, but the rugby team were, were the center of the whole town and region. So we were treated like rock stars. Everything was put on for us. Your money wasn't good anywhere you went. We were treated extremely well, but, but from the first night sort of turning up, being picked up from the airport of Milan, everything's different, right? In Europe, the, the architecture, the buildings, you're on the other side of the road, you don't know the language. It was a huge shock, but was, was just really, really exciting. Um, had its challenges and its moments, but just memories in a time in my life that I'm ever grateful that I had the opportunity to do it. You still got any Italian? Uh, a little bit. So the first year I went over, I was there for two years. So the first year I was there, I lived with um, an Australian and, and another Kiwi. So we didn't speak a lot of Italian in the house. We had to know enough to be able to play. So you needed the, the lingo to be able to sort of play with your teammates on the field and understand, you know, when the ref was telling you off for doing something and that sort of stuff. We had Italian lessons a couple of times a week to help with that. But the second year, I made the decision to actually throw myself in a bit deeper and requested to live with a couple of the Italian guys and, and sort of immerse myself in the language a bit more. I've got a little bit of basics left, Aaron, but certainly it's like anything, I guess, if you don't use it, you know, you sort of lose it. But I certainly can still chat with a couple of the boys on Facebook and whatever and and have a bit of banter. So that's pretty cool. What about Welsh? It's a little more challenging, right? (laughs) Uh, I couldn't understand the Welsh when they were speaking English, mate. So I had no chance of of speaking their, their native tongue to them. So plenty of times I was just nodding and smiling and pretending I knew what they were saying. So in hindsight, how do you make sense of what role rugby played in shaping who you are we've had some glimpse at what it did to your body but what did it do to your mind your personality a huge effect there like a profound impact on who i am today without knowing it at the time i guess what i went through through rugby good and bad and being in team environments and um, being inspired by people around you and, and good leadership and coaches like I said, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but I think it helped me, I, I think, become a reasonable human being today. It makes me aware of leadership and presence and the impact that good and bad things can have on different people. Lots of tools and skills that I was fortunate enough to, to be educated with at the time, I, I 100% apply today. And my role has been a, a husband and a father and, and a colleague and, and leader at work, etc. So I was never interested in leadership. I was never a captain of a team. I was never in a leadership team. 
but from being a follower, I think I learned to recognize what good leadership was and what it can do to inspire people and get you to follow. So I almost learned leadership from the other end of the spectrum, which which I think has been highly beneficial to me. So the experiences I had in rugby, 100%, I still carry with me today and, and other aspects of my life. There's also a fundamental way that you see the world and approach everything from being at the elite level of sport. Does that statement make sense to you? It does. And I learned some pretty harsh lessons when I left the rugby career and transitioned into Speech Mark's real job, as my mum called it at the time. And I, I couldn't understand looking around me why people who were doing things or had a job or a profession or a passion or, or a role to play in something weren't always doing it to 100% of their ability and weren't always applying 100% effort. And I found myself getting really frustrated with that because I was used to being surrounded by guys who were doing everything that they had to do to make sure that when the whistle you know, blew to kick off a game in a weekend, that they were doing the right thing by themselves, their families, their their colleagues and teammates, the coaching staff, etc. So playing club rugby back home was very frustrating that I didn't see guys doing that. So, you know, I had to readjust my perception and understand that they were playing for different reasons. But also in work, I just couldn't understand why people um, who were still part of a team weren't all necessarily pulling in the same way and giving it everything they had to to achieve something for the for the greater good. So I, I had to, it took me a long time, Aaron, to be honest, it's probably 10 years that it took me to actually rationalize that and understand it and become inquisitive and understand, you know, other people's ways of viewing things and why they do things and they don't have the same experiences or background as me. And, and if I was going to succeed and work successfully in that, I, I had to do some work on myself as well because, you know, everybody's different and comes at things different ways. Let me play devil's advocate. If I say, mate, if I can cruise for my 35 hours a week and get by and meet my mortgage money, pick up my gold, watch at the end and head out on the fishing boat, I've won life. Why am I wrong to have that attitude and your packing down in the scrum attitude is the right one in your opinion? I used to think it was right and wrong, Aaron, and, and that's what I mean. When I started to be responsible for other people, I probably learned, learned some harsh lessons and probably didn't do right by some people by having that attitude. I, I, I don't think it's right and wrong. I think it's different. But when the person who's cruising and doing the bare minimum and getting through and winning his life, as you say, that that's fine for them. I've got no issue with that. But when that attitude or application to something is impacting other people and is detrimental to a collective outcome, I think that's when that needs to be addressed. And, and not everybody needs to be going 100 miles an hour and doing things the same way. But there's got to be some buy-in and commitment to something of the greater good that's bigger than the sum of the, the individual parts. And I think that's the key to teamwork. So there's always going to be different aspects, different views of something. People are going to be more engaged than others um, and give more effort than others. But if somebody's dragging that or going a different direction or, or working to actually undermine or sabotage or really impact that in a negative way, I think that's when that attitude or approach to life or work becomes a problem. There's more to explore there, but let's just go back to the timeline for a minute. You get to the end of your professional rugby career. Do you have any professional qualifications at that point? Yeah, so I, I managed to go back to uni and um, my three-year degree took four years, but I finished that. I knew that was important because rugby wasn't going to always be there and I needed something to fall back on later on. So I'm very, I'm very glad that I did that. But when I finished playing, my whole identity was associated with being a professional rugby player in Europe. I mean, that's how people knew me. It's who I was um, physically. That's how I saw myself mentally. That's how I saw myself. And when that stopped... 
and I started to think about who or what I wanted to be next, it, I was really struggling with that. I, I, I had a real self-identity crisis, I think. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was starting or trying to think about starting a career, you know, where some of my friends from uni had already had 10 years. They were 10 years ahead of me. So I was quite anxious about that. I, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was going to be. I didn't know how to go about it. I remember applying for jobs and thinking, how do I take the skills from my rugby career and make them transferable to a new career that's sitting at a desk and doing resource consents, you know, development applications for somebody when I've got no no real transferable experience or, or skills at all. So I had to become quite creative in that. Um, and that was a real challenge. I, I really felt lost for quite a period of time there until until luckily circumstances sort of presented themselves where I was given an opportunity to, to go into a planning and sort of land survey and development firm and, and start from the bottom. So again, a real sort of transitional part of my life where I went from sort of being, felt like I was a bit in the dark and, and struggling to to sort of an opportunity presenting itself and whilst I didn't feel like I knew what the hell I was doing or, or that I could even succeed, back myself to have a crack at it and, and the rest is history. So I can see both a significant opportunity and a significant threat from the rugby skills, if we can call them that. On the one hand, these ideas of teamwork, getting out what you put in, rolling with the punches when you can play well, but the rest of the team's let you down. Other days you can get carried by the rest of the team. All of those dynamics I can see applying in a professional role, but also the idea of going out and smashing someone is not terribly applicable in a white collar environment. So how did you marry that up? I got some help from people, to be honest. I, I needed to, because my head noise was getting in the way at that point in my time. I I really had a lot of self-doubt about where I was going to end up. I knew I could do it. I knew I was an intelligent person, capable, um, could do these things, but needed an opportunity. And, and the feedback I was getting from people frustratingly at the time was, look, we think you, you'd fit in, you'd be a great fit. No doubt you can do the job, but just without any experience that we can't take that risk. And I kept saying, well, how am I supposed to fix the experience hole in my CV if nobody's going to give me a chance. So I had a friend who knew, who had a friend who had a, who was one of the directors at a planning and development firm and, and they were looking for a planner to come on board and that connection was made. So it was one of those who you know, not what you know moments, but but luckily this guy was willing to give me a chance. He knew my parents um, was the same sort of age and, and had common friends, etc. So that's what got me out of that hole and, and it was either luck or you, you make your own luck and you seize the opportunity. But Prior to that, I had some terrible experiences, which just seemed to reaffirm my self-doubt with different interviewees. And and the rugby thing was very polarizing. People either were really attracted to it and interested in it, it was something different and there was something exotic about, you know, being in front of somebody who had done what I'd done. And there were other people who just saw rugby players as ruffians and buffheads and there's no way that I could be that and then something else afterwards. And that was more my experience at the time. I, I found even in you know, a place like New Zealand where rugby's a religion, trying to transition from that, I, I got plenty of knockbacks for sure. It was, I think it was almost a year before I actually got through that and, and found a job and, and started working. How did you get on top of your self-talk? I didn't for a long time, Aaron. It was, um, you know, every time I applied for a job and you get knocked back, and I'm sure plenty of people got experiences like this, you just... It just compounds the self-doubt. So, you know, you've got doubts in your head. You tell yourself you're not good enough. Um, why would these people hire you? There's no way you can do this. People are going to have so much better CVs than me, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you get a knockback and it just reinforces it. So you just get these layers and layers of your self-doubt is right built on top of each other. And I, I think it takes somebody from outside 
of that experience or somebody other than yourself to give you a bit of perspective and, and reality and and help you sort of level out and plateau again. And and I've been very fortunate throughout my whole life, I think, to have good people around me. And, and I, I hope that everybody's got those people that are confidants and advisors and mentors that when you're not necessarily on an equal mental playing field for yourself, you can reach out and and sort of say, hey, this is where I'm at and this is what I'm thinking. What, you know, am I right or wrong or indifferent? And I, I look back and there were plenty of times in both of my careers where I was self-doubting myself and it took somebody from outside to, to tell me, you know, correct that and give me some positivity and and get the head noise sorted out again. But all of those experiences have helped, again, contribute to who I am today and, and help me be more resilient and have sort of some calluses on the mental stuff that I've been through plenty of adversity now. I think that, you know, I'm pretty capable these days and I don't think you get to being somebody who can sort of welcome challenge and adversity and step away from something and, and rationalize it and come up with a plan and attack it unless you've gone through some of those tougher experiences. That really is one of life's hardest lessons, isn't it? There's a million motivational quotes on Instagram, a million books with sunsets in them, but pain brings growth. Absolutely. I totally subscribe to you have to be out of your comfort zone to be able to grow in a particular way. So if you stay where it's safe and sound and where you're the master of your universe, every day that's okay but if you actually want to grow and expand and add to your repertoire and, and see what's possible you, you've got to have curiosity you've got to put yourself in situations where you don't know what the hell you're doing you've got to expose yourself to risk and challenge and if you tell yourself that it's okay to fail and it's just a part of learning and experience there's this automatic safety or comfort in that if you let that pressure off yourself and give yourself to a process or, or something so I became somebody who actually welcomed challenge and almost sought out not adversity but being uncomfortable and because whilst the experiences might not be great or or, or comfortable at the time the the growth and the not euphoria but you get this real adrenaline surge after doing something like that that's well you know I can you know what's next so I have a great amount of admiration for people who have gone through adversity and found their way through that and then can look back over their shoulder at, at the experience and know that they've grown or become a better person for it. I, I think that's really great. So you get this opportunity eventually. You grab the bottom rung of the ladder, if you want to put it that way. We're still a long way from handling 150 staff and $1.5 billion worth of development applications in Lake Macquarie. Draw that line for us. Again, through sport, I've learned that, you, you know, the result's not what you focus on. You're, you focus on doing the best job you can, do the things that you're responsible for with the best of your ability. I already valued relationships and saw people as being very valuable through again through rugby and seeing great leaders and what a group of people coming together and pulling the same way can achieve so I, I knew I was going to have to bide my time Aaron and that it was I was going to have to be patient but at the same time I was overly aware that that career for me was behind a long way and, and I needed to accelerate I really threw myself into doing doing that to, to get back to where I felt I needed to be in terms of position, status, job. I, I wanted job size and scale. I, I felt that I could take that on, but I needed to start from the bottom, improve myself and move up. So so I worked for that firm for two or three years, built great networks. I, I had a good reputation with, with councils, et cetera, around the place for being having a collaborative way of working. I, I really focused on all those things. Got into local government, went through management, got my first sort of executive leadership role a few years after that. Met my wife, my beautiful wife, Steph. We had one kid at the time and all of a sudden, after being in Europe and away for a long time, New Zealand felt really small for me and I realised that probably the opportunities weren't there that that I was going to look for. So 
I sort of kept nudging Steph to think about moving to Australia for a few years and she was pretty reluctant. My mum and dad had 12 or 13 grandkids. Her mum and dad, the only grandkids they had were, were ours and so we didn't want to take them away at that time. But when we had Marley, my, my second child, my daughter, a year after that came home from work one day and Steph had all these jobs printed out um, from Seek in Australia on the table and she was ready to move, which is awesome. So we started started looking at that. We decided we wanted to be somewhere between sort of Sydney and Newcastle, but not in Sydney. So focused on those jobs. Winning roles from offshore was really hard. It was just a competitive market, and um, I got some advice that that was just probably never going to happen. So we thought, well, let's look regional, and then we'll sort of have a plan. And once we get into Australia, it's probably going to be a lot easier. So Musselbrook was where we ended up. So I, I joined Musselbrook Council in 2013. We sold everything we had, basically, at a garage sale. So all the furniture, everything, the cars, the lot. And one guy who bought, I think, a fridge asked us what we were doing with the house. And we said, well, we'll be selling that too. And we actually sold the house to him at the garage sale. So we literally had a box of things each. The kids had a box of toys each. We shipped it all over to Australia. We jumped on a plane, hired a car in, in Sydney, filled it with stuff from Ikea that we needed to get by for the first couple of days and drove to Musselbrook. And that was the story or the start of, of our life in Australia and, and ending up with Lake Mac middle of last year, which I'm, you know, I was extremely grateful for the opportunity and, and just love working for the organisation. It's one thing to be wired a certain way, as you clearly are. It's one thing to be driven and have expectations of yourself. It's another thing to ask your family to back you on that journey. Can you share some of your learnings from that process of what you got wrong and what you got right? I think we were just willing to call it an adventure, Aaron, to be honest. So I, I was ready to move before Steph was, but Steph hadn't gone overseas and done the things I'd done. You know, she was very close to her family, a very tight-knit, large family. So I had to be patient with that as well. And I, I had no expectation of her ever, you know, agreeing to it. I'd sort of parked it and, and thought that it's probably never going to happen and we'll, you know, we'll still have a good life where we are. But I just had a real thirst for something else. And I'm just grateful to Steph that she backed me in that and came on board for, for the journey. So, and again, going to Musselbrook, I mean, I can remember getting the job offer or getting an invite to interview for Musselbrook. And so we jumped on YouTube and there were two videos on YouTube of Musselbrook. And one was of a coal train and a guy filming a coal train from above a, an overpass. And the other was a guy at a barbecue and he was eating, a, his mates had dared him to eat a moth or something and he was eating this bug. And it's about all I could find at Musselbrook. So, they flew us over for a weekend. We did the interviews, you know, Musselbrook's Musselbrook. I don't know disrespect to Musselbrook, but it wasn't where we were necessarily going to see ourselves permanently. But again, very grateful for that opportunity and that experience and, and the footing or the, the grounding that it gave us to come here. And in terms of my drive and passion, etc., and others maybe not being that way, I, I've become, as with age and mistakes and experience, a little bit more balanced and understanding. I... I try and see things from other people's perspective as I say I learned some very hard lessons early that my passion and drive or my expectation or impatience for something I have to manage that because it's not fair to impose that necessarily on other people and I did that at times and, and it didn't go well so my my staff will probably tell you that I still have pretty high expectations I want things done quickly I, I want them done as best as we can but I hope I now go about that in a way that I explain that to them bring them along for a journey and, and hopefully coach them and let them find a way that's still true to themselves for getting there, but but I think a, our role as leaders is to set some sort of goal on the horizon and, and help people find their own way between the two points and, and support them along the way. Hearing your story, there seems to be an innate 
paradox in that there was a bunch of rough luck. There was a bunch of self-doubt. There was starting the race maybe a decade behind some others. And yet I also get the sense that you were really happy that everything went the way it did. I am, and at different times of my life, I haven't felt that way, obviously. Um, I've felt cheated and robbed, and why did that person tackle me that way at that time? Like, they're just those snapshot things that, that have profound impacts and effects later. But I, I wouldn't necessarily change anything in, in my journey, Aaron. I try not to have regrets. Things happen for a reason. One of the great tools that I carry from rugby is is a mentality that worrying about something that's happened or that you can't control is is a, a fruitless exercise so you can be aware of it you can rationalize it you can understand it but spending any emotional or intelligent time and energy worrying about something that's happened is, is a fruitless exercise you've got to let it go because ultimately it's in the past and that was a that was a skill that i picked up through rugby you know you miss a tackle you drop a high ball you leak a try you drop a ball on the try line there'll be plenty of time in the week after to review it and understand what happened and why and unpick it and try and make sure it doesn't happen again but we were taught by great coaches that the most important thing at that time is to put that in the back pocket and move on to your next job. Because if if you're still worrying about that mistake and you're trying to do something else, the chances are you're going to compound the mistake with another one. So I've applied that to life. I think it's a great philosophy. It works for me. It's not for everybody. But in terms of my journey, I've been very fortunate and I'm very grateful for the life we have here in Australia where we live in a beautiful part of the world. Um, I've got great friends. I work for a great organization, doing great things. And I wouldn't have ended up here if it hadn't have been for all the things that happened before that that, that led me to this point. And yeah, you know, I, I don't I don't regret anything that's happened now that I've got to where I am. Now you face a completely different life challenge in having had the success that you have had, loving where you are in life but still not quite at halftime in the big game, if I could put it that way. How do you stay hungry and put in your best for the second half? I think I'm so used to that being sort of the default status that I don't think that'll ever change. You are right, I'm getting close. I'm in the last five minutes of the first half, I think, in terms of the big race, sort of I'm in my mid-40s and I think I'm going through another period of my life where you sort of reflect about what you are and you want to leave behind in terms of your footprints and the legacy and the impact you want to have on people. And I, I take that seriously without being sort of fanatical or obsessive about it, but to be responsible for people, to be responsible for helping shape a community, with the privilege of the work we have, particularly with the attitude and the way of working that Lake Mac has, I just see that as a positive thing. Like why would you not want to do the best you can in that space and look back or drive past things later on with your kids or your grandkids and say, you know, I, I helped build that or I helped shape that or I was a part of that process. And with fatherhood and trying to grow two little good human beings, uh, I think the same applies. You know, I've got a responsibility to sort of show those kids how to live and how to be and what, what is out there for you if you have the right attitude and application and the world's yours to make of it as, as you wish and you're going to face some challenges and we don't hide those challenges from our kids. I think it's important that they get some bumps and scrapes. I look forward to what comes next, to be honest. I'm very comfortable where I am. I'm forever grateful for the opportunity. Love being part of the team that I'm in and the organisation that I belong to and just excited to see what's around the corner, really. If the kids came at you and said, we want to be professional rugby players, would you let them? No. <laughs> Mate, I, if they were, my, my kids are more artistic and musically and sort of theatrically orientated, which is which is a trait of, of Steph. They both enjoy sport. They play touch. They play netball. My son's just got into basketball, which is great. But my body, mate, is pretty banged up 
on a daily basis now. It takes a fair bit of management. Did some silly things looking back to stay on the field and playing way before you were ready to or carrying injuries and stuff. And it's the way it works. And, and again, I wouldn't change that for a second. But yeah, I, I would prefer that my kids don't have physical challenges that I'm going to have as I get into the second half of life, as you say. But we support our kids in whatever they want to do. And you know, if they want to try something, we let them try it. And if they join something up for a year, they commit to it and they don't tap out at any stage. They see that through. But professional rugby mate, there's some there's some big bodies moving around there and watching it on TV and seeing the force of some of those collisions and stuff these days. I don't even know if I'd want to go back and play again, but we'll see. One final question. Let's fantasize that it's possible for 2021 Glenn to go and sit next to that bloke who busted his ankle and two or three days after the reality was setting in he must have been hating life and a bit of a lost soul what would 2021 Glenn say to 20 year old Glenn I don't know because 20 year old Glenn was pretty stubborn (laughs) yeah you would have told him to get out of the room trust yourself trust the universe there's a lot of living ahead of you in those times mate I was just devastated I was just I was everything I had worked for had wanted to be had in front of me I, I was just crushed so you know I remember ringing my old man in tears and just saying well what the hell do I do now so I don't think 20 year old Glenn would have listened I think I don't know how or what sort of person would have been able to get through the head noise that was going on then but I think just relax back yourself enjoy the process, enjoy the ride, and and you'll get there in the end. That would have been the message. It's a pretty good message for all of us to hear. I've loved learning about your journey. I have seen your work, but not necessarily recognised the path that has led you to where you are today. Fascinating path that it is. Glenn Bunny, thank you for being our very first guest on The Lake Mac Way. My pleasure, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Lake Macway is produced by Lake Macquarie City Council in partnership with Axe Media International.